Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, and your co-presenter this morning is Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at the state of Hong Kong's housing market after the failure of yet another public land tender prompted the government to hand the site over to the city's second largest public housing provider instead. The Housing Society will use the Chun Wan plot to build nearly 2,000 starter homes for first-time buyers who can't afford private flats, and the first time the society has engaged in such a project. It comes amid a deeper malaise in the housing market, with property sales at their lowest level since 2019 and more units set to hit the market this weekend. So what do you think of the move? How will it impact the property market? And will it set a new president? And after 9.45, we're going to be looking at the large increase in child abuse cases. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page and email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Our guest in the main segment of the show this morning, we have uh, Ryan Ip. Ryan Ip is uh, Vice President and Co-Head of Research at our Hong Kong Foundation. And we have Hannah Jung. Hannah Jung is uh, Head of Valuation Advisory in Colliers. Uh, good morning. Um, welcome to Backchat. Uh, Ryan Ip, maybe we can go to you first. Sure. Morning. morning. Good morning. So, um, what, what, what do you make of uh, this, this, the, these latest developments in the property market, and particularly uh, the failure of this um, uh, public land tender in Chunwan? I think the uh, failure is actually not surprising, uh, given the recent market conditions and also the quite restrictive, uh, you know, condition, uh, requirement of that particular site. Uh, first of all, it is on a huge slope, uh, so uh, the developers have to, you know, spend a little bit of money to do, you know, like land formation, etc. And then also the sales requirement is, you know, quite restricted. Uh, it, it has to be sold at a uh, 80% discount uh, to the market prices. Uh, and also the government is not guaranteed, is not guaranteed that uh, it will, you know, it will buy back all the units if, if they are unsold. And um, given the current situation, especially uh, interest rate is quite high. Uh, I think um, uh, there's no surprising that um, the reception of that site is not good. In fact, there was only one, if, I'm, if my memory serves, there was only one uh, developer who was actually uh, bidding for that site. So I think um, the, 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 fa- the failing of that uh, tender is actually uh, uh, not surprising at all. All right. So, so Mr. Ip, you're saying that it's uh, partly to do with the location of the actual site. Um, do you have any idea why the government wants to build more starter homes there? Why not just build more public housing? Well, I think there is actually a, um, a strategy of the government because they're trying to build up the housing ladder, right? And uh, uh, we sort of see that there is a gap uh, between the uh, HOS, which is the current uh, subsidized housing uh, offered by the government, and the private housing. There is actually a um, gap uh, or be- between these two asset classes. And well, that is what we call the sandwiched uh, class. And, and I think uh, the government is trying to use the uh, first use the starter home scheme to you know sort of uh, fill that gap. I, I think that initiative in uh, itself is is actually okay. And uh, we do see a gap there. It's just that uh, unfortunately, given the uh, location and also unfortunately given the uh, interest rate environment, uh, you know, you know, the, the private participation on that side is not is not that active. 
Now, you seem to be suggesting that uh, this is very much a special case, uh, the uh, failure of the uh, tender in uh, Chunwan. And uh, let me actually also bring in a, a comment from a listener um, on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Um, uh, Mike says, uh, did anyone look at the failed tender for Chunwan plot? A thin and long, ugly plot of land sandwiched between an <laughs> elevated highway and a small ship docking bay, a potential traffic, new traffic nightmare. Housing society may rent as rental of last resort. Noise and noise pollution, hotspot with tons of street uh, parking. Uh, Ryan, that seemed to uh, maybe a, li- a little bit more extreme language being used by our listener there, but seemed to be fairly similar to what you were saying, right? That, that this, this might have been a bit of a special case. Well, I think the location is one of the uh, you know, major... Indeed, there was a, there was there were there was another uh, southern home site, uh, which was tender, I, I believe, last year, and that was on Anderson Road, and that was successfully uh, sold. Uh, and it seems that um, there is indeed a well, if the condition is right, there is indeed uh, you know market interest on this kind of private participation of you know public housing scheme, and I think uh, a, a, a a quite significant reason of of the failing of the tender, uh, it has to, has to be attributable to the uh, location of that site. Right. Mr. Mr. Yip, I mean, earlier you said uh, this was really to uh, fill the gap in the property market. Um, but looking at the uh, current market situation, is it a good time to build more subsidized homes uh, in general? Well, I think um, although um, private housing prices uh, has dropped uh, a little bit recently, you, you can see there is still a, a gap of affordability uh, from the subsidized uh, current subsidized housing, which is the HOS, to the private housing. There is still there is still a gap here, despite the gap um, might have become you know smaller recently given the uh, drop of private housing prices. But uh, I, I do see that a, a gap is still there. Okay, we're discussing the uh, state of the housing market in Hong Kong on the back of uh, this uh, failure of a uh, public land uh, tender in Chinwan. You just heard Ryan Ip from uh, our Hong Kong Foundation. Uh, let's now bring in ha- our other guest in the first segment, Hannah Jung. Han- Hannah Jung is uh, Head of Valuation and Advisory at Colliers. Uh, good morning. Um, good morning. Good morning. Um, so w- what's your take on um, uh, this latest development, uh, particularly in relation to the uh, plot in Chinwan? Um, yes, I think as Ryan mentioned, Chunwan uh, site has a number of restrictions, such as the the shape of the site is really not is not really regular, and then it's on the slope, so the slope maintenance and uh, foundation work will take a lot of the cost. And under here, we have a rainwater drainage tunnel. You have to uh, make sure not touching that, and also there are graveyards and sensitive uh, air sensitivity area next to the highway, there's electricity cable. So if you look at technical side, the site itself was a quite challenging site. So we're not sure how much government um, put the reserve, the pricing on this, but the market was really expecting uh, even below 2,000, so 1,500 square foot on the land price to, um, to like close to 3,000 per square foot. The, the other site, which we mentioned in uh, Anderson Hill, that's, that was a 4,500 per square foot sold last year to Chonggong. So that, that price, if we compare, you can say this site is much inferior and the price has to reflect. But we still don't know what was the land price reserved by the government there or it failed or not meeting the expectation. I think it's not because of one tenderer 
uh, came in, it was more on the pricing. But I think now the market has um, the land price overall. We are looking at residential price down by 30% based on the number of tenders that uh, came out this year. And that if we reflect that in, even in this side, I think government need to come more realistic number. And I think passing to um, housing society to work on, I think that is the right direction because uh, the site itself is really challenging and the market uh, expectation is not there anymore. Do you say the government needs to be more realistic? So you're saying, it, <clears throat> although there may, <clears throat> there may have been uh, special circumstances about this particular site, it's more than just this site. It's about the market generally. You were talking about 30% yes. decline, right? So you, yeah, yeah. for future public land tenders, uh, pricing will have to be lower or we may see, we may see more sites withdrawn? Um, it's possible that the interest from developer may not very strong given high interest rate. Even the developers are willing to sell more assets within their, uh, to clean up their balance sheet. The, the, the interest cost has been a huge expenses within their uh, book. So we will see less interest from the developer. I think government became more realistic and we have seen number of tenders sold with a really uh, meeting the market expectation price, but I think that there has to be come down more and then able to sell land quickly as they plan. Right. And apart from um, the, the high interest rate you're talking about, I mean, are, are more, more, uh, most developers right now, are they just uh, focused on getting rid of their existing inventory? Is uh, that yeah, why? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So not only the inventory of a residential, which is their uh, typical product to sell, uh, because the residential sales has been slowing down, they're also looking at different opportunities to uh, sell their commercial buildings or industrial buildings, etc., as long as it's not um, core of their business. Okay, uh, let's bring in Ryan Ip again on, on that broader point of the state of the housing market. As, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, a lot of units are going to be going on sale this weekend. I think there are five projects which developers are hoping to say, sell. Um, Ryan Ip, what, what's your take? And we've seen success, of course, when uh, developers uh, uh, price very competitively. Um, what, Ryan Ip, what's your take on the uh, broader state of the property market and how these, uh, development, these sales are likely to be received? I think we obviously see a lot of remaining stocks in the market. Uh, I think uh, the numbers is as high as 20,000 units uh, of remaining stocks in the market. And I think it really depends on the, 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 the developers' pricing strategies. Uh, if you look at one of the uh, uh, projects that was sold recently, uh, they developed uh, in Yautong. In Yautong, uh, the developers actually, uh, you know, priced very competitively. That was, you know, around... 20% discount to to the um, uh, second second hand pricing uh, on the same districts and the reception was actually very good. And but then uh, not every developer have the uh, you know have have the opportunity to offer a such such such, such a competitive pricing because for that uh, Yao Tong site, the cost of the the, the the land was actually quite cheap. Uh, the land premium was around uh, five thousand uh, per square feet. So so. Um, so uh, the developers have the uh, opportunity to offer competitive pricing, but some of the other projects, uh, the land cost uh, might, might not be that cheap. So I'm not sure if uh, the developers in the other projects uh, would, would be able to offer a you know a pricing as competitive as the uh, recent uh, uh, project. But and if not, then uh, I believe the sell sell through rate of uh, the remaining projects 
might not be as good as uh, the recent one, and that uh, will still and that will you know will will, will contribute to the uh, you know increasing remaining stocks uh, in the market, which is quite a problem, I think. Let's focus a bit more on that recent successful sale in um, in Yaotong, uh, the CK Asset Holdings. Um, it, it showed, didn't it, that there is still demand there, isn't there, Ryan? It, I, I saw suggestions, quotes at the time saying that um, as long as there is a discount, people will still rush to buy flats. It, it suggests that, that, that there's still demand. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you look at the... Um the, the sell-through rate of that project was actually very good. It was oversubscribed for a you know a, a significant amount, and it was so all the units were sold swiftly. Uh, it shows that as long as there is uh, enough discounts, uh, there is a if there is a competitive pricing, there are still uh, demand in the market. And I, and and to me, I think uh, that is actually not a bad thing because um, it seems to me that um, you know the market has found a. You know, a recent low, right? right a, a, a foundation where, well, if you, if you offer that kind of discount, then you can, you can quickly see, you know, demand coming up. It's actually better because if without that, well, uh, well, both the buyers and the sellers are waiting, have have been waiting, right? The, the buyers are were not willing to add, and the sellers were not were not willing to reduce their prices, and now. Like they, they, they sort of found a, a benchmark, and I think um, that is actually uh, a, a healthy thing for the market. Uh, Hannah Jung, would you you like to come in on this broader issue of um, the state of the market and uh, uh, pricing of developers? Um, yeah, if we look at the price index uh, by June, actually the price dropped by around eight point six percent compared to last year June. Um, bear in your mind, last year, June may not be the, the best year of the property market. So we continue to see this drop. And actually, if I'm a home buyer for my end use, I, I'm willing to take this opportunity when the market is uh, softening. I had a good opportunity to grab the, my uh, the first home, right? So there are tens of demand who young family or second generation or even uh, family size of a three and four, they're all looking for their uh, steady home. And that's where the demand we still see coming in. But it was just not affordable or interest rate was too high that I, I can get a loan with uh, so much expensive prices. So that, that was the issue. So as long as the price offer in a reasonable discount, I think people willing to buy. I, I remember Yautong people line up <laughs> a lot to get that ticket, and then uh, once they got it, they, they got a, the price of around 15000 per square foot. Um, people believe that that was a good deal because the next door was selling 18 to 20 or even higher for three years ago. So I think that's uh, where people want to have their own home, and, and I think developers need to consider to bring down their sales price to the more reasonable level so that they can get rid of their inventory quickly. Right, but, but is this a healthy development then? Did you agree with uh, what uh, Mr. Yip was saying earlier? Yeah, I think why government is not removing any stamp duties because they think this uh, adjustment downward, downward adjustment is more natural and it's healthy movement. So we are not looking at um, like a SARS time, we have a like 50%, 70% discount all of a sudden the bubble pops up, right? We are not looking at that. We are looking at the, the adjustment downward uh, gradually, and that's in a healthy direction, given there are sufficient supply coming up in the market as well. 
But the thing is, the interest rate is too high that our volume of transaction has been really static, and that doesn't help anyone. As Ryan says, seller wants to sell. It's the right point for me to move on, but they cannot sell because there's not many buyers um, due to the high interest cost. Of course, everyone wants to uh, wait until the bottom of the market to buy, don't they? Which is notoriously mm-hmm. difficult to judge. I mean, uh, all kinds of predictions from analysts, some suggesting the market's not going to bottom out until 2024. Where do you stand on that, Hannah Jung? Um, we are more looking at end of 2023, possibly, uh, but all depends on whether interest rate can come down a little bit and economic growth can really reach a uh, 4 to 5% what government is expecting. Uh, to me, my, my forecast, our company forecast for GDP will not reach up to 4%, but um, let's see how we play. And also, uh, the, the foreign workforce coming into Hong Kong, they are more on the rental side, they, and that helped the rental market improvement so far. And if the rental goes up, then the people will have a more confidence and the buyer will come into the market gradually. So, yeah, 2024 looks brighter than 2023. All right. And Mr. Yip, I mean, earlier, uh, both you and uh, Ms. Zhang, you're saying that uh, it's a healthy development for, for developers uh, to offer disc- discounts and uh, for the property prices to uh, go down gradually. Um, what pressure, Mr. Yip, do you think uh, this will put on the uh, secondary market? Well, that, uh, that's going to put on a lot of pressure because, uh, 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 you know, earlier, you know, you know, you know, you see a lot of the second, second-hand sellers, they're not, they're, they're not willing to lower their to, to, to reduce their asking price, and you know because for a lot of these you know sellers they, they do not really have a a urgency to sell because uh, if you look at the balance sheet of Hong Kong's banking system, indeed two thirds of the homeowners have repaid their mortgages, so they are not affected by you know increasing interest rates. So they do they really do not have any urgency to sell, so they were not willing to you know lower their asking prices. But on the other hand. The buyers, they're looking at, you know, this downward trend, uh, as they're looking at this downward trend of, 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 of prices, and they're not willing to meet the relatively high asking prices of the second-hand seller. So the market, the secondary market was really sluggish before, and there was no, there were no transactions, uh, and, and, and the market was sluggish. And, uh, with this, you know, recent price drop of this project and, and, and by significant amount, and I think a lot of the second-hand buyers, are seeing, uh, are seeing pressure to lower their prices, and um, which is not a bad thing. Well, if they're lo- if they're willing to lower their prices, and judging by the you know by, by what was happening in the Yautom project, if, if the second-hand sellers are willing to lower their prices, there will be a lot of demand coming up, and that is you know really a healthy development uh, on the overall housing market. And for me, I think uh, if that happens, then we can really find a bottom. Of that market, right, of the market, and hopefully uh, with that bottom and and, and uh, the prices and you know slowly uh, sort of you know you know recovering uh, towards the end of this year or or start or the start of next year. How about the commercial property market? I think you mentioned earlier that um, developers also are looking to offload stock there, and of course there was that report that um, Hong Kong Land had put out feelers to uh, sell Free Exchange Square, and Hong Kong Land said they had no plans, whatever that means, uh, <laughs> uh, to sell at the moment. But yes, uh, maybe uh, I heard you react there, Han- Hannah Jones. Would you like to come in on that? Um, I think the office market 
is facing the, um, the highest vacancy rate right now. We are about 16.7%. Um, Hong Kong used to trade the vacancy rate below 5% mm. on, on an average. So we are having historical high vacancy rate. And the, the new company setting up in Hong Kong, no matter is it from mainland China or overseas, we, the, the pace of that is really slower than what we expected. So that will, um, they will not really improve the rental market of the office at this moment in 2023. So we're still looking at the um, either flat or slightly negative growth uh, within this year. And, and possibly 2024, we will see some of the uplift, but we do have a new supply coming up. As you know, we have a Henderson 2, a Chonggong 2, and the Henderson within uh, Central. And there are XRL station also building up pretty soon. So we do have a, a number of offices coming up. And also we have an airport. Um, there's K-11 office building launched already this year. And they are looking for filling up the tenants. So we do have a different locations now. Um, I'm not really concerned on these supplies because I think this will gradually in the long term make Hong Kong much healthier place to do business. Uh, previously, we had a too high rental cost for not many businesses can afford. But now we have a diversified location, central, um, Kowloon, new territory, as well as near the airport. In the long term, I think once those uh, company economy grow in a, in a better way, I think this will help the Hong Kong to grow further. A lot of people complaining about, oh, we are losing competitiveness against the Singapore the Singapore um, office scale in terms of the square foot are only like 30% of Hong Kong. So how many people or company can move from Hong Kong to there is not a comparison. So we do have a space and we can, I think it all depends on economy. We were able to absorb this uh, global demand coming to Hong Kong in the long term. All right. I, I just want to go back uh, to what we were talking about at the beginning of the program, uh, just briefly, because we're about to take a, a break for the news uh, in a few minutes' time. And that's uh, about the housing society's uh, plan to use the uh, Chinwan plot to uh, build uh, starter homes. Um, it's the first time uh, that it's uh, doing that. Uh, Mr. Ip, uh, do you think it has the uh, cap- uh, capability and skills for, for this job? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's the first time for them to build, to build this particular type of starter homes for them. It's not a first time for them to build uh, subsidized housing or even private housing. I think uh, they, they, they do have the skills. They have, you know, previously they have they have built, you know, similar type of sandwich class housing and and the quality was actually a little bit better than that, that was than, than the subsidized housing that was built by the housing authority. And, and I think um, another thing uh, is that the housing society has a lot more room to use, you know, flexible sort of design and planning, and you know, a lot more room to use, you know, so, you know, you know, more innovative, uh, you know, uh, construction technology as compared to the housing authority, because it's not, you know, part of the government is, you know, it, it is not part of the, you know, it does not have to go 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 through all the bureaucracy that the housing authority have to go 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 through. So I think um, I'm I'm not worried. Uh, that the housing society, mm. uh, you know, uh, I believe they can, they have the capability to build this kind of housing. What about its uh, role in future public housing projects? I mean, what, what sort of role should the housing society play? I think uh, they have, what they have been doing is, you know, a 
a you know housing laboratory. Well, they are not focusing on quantity. Uh, they are focusing on you know quality, or they are focusing on you know using innovative concepts or designs that can be tested out. If if these you know if this sort of innovative design or construction technology can be tested out in the housing society project, then judging from past experience, the housing authority will actually come in to adapt this kind of you know design and and, and construction technology. I think that has always been the uh, case. Of housing society, and I think it will it will continue to fulfill that role. It's it's it's, it's not really about quantity because okay. in terms of quantity, it cannot be competed okay. uh, with the housing authority. Okay, I think we're going to we're going to have to take a break there for the news, and we're also going to have to say goodbye to uh, Ryan Ip from the Our Hong Kong Foundation and Hannah Jung, who uh, from Colliers, who were here with us in the first half of the show. But stay with us; we're going to be continuing to discuss uh, this topic after a short break for the news, and later on, we're also going to look at uh, a rise in child abuse uh, cases. Uh, the weather forecast: it's going to be hot with sunny periods and a few showers. Maximum temperature is going to rise to 32 degrees in the urban areas, a couple degrees higher in the new territories. It's going to be isolated thunderstorms, but the outlook is that going to be sunny periods over the next couple of days, although there will still be one or two showers. Currently 30 degrees, relative humidity 78%. It's 9.30 and here's Tom Warden with the news. Trade unionist lawmaker Lam Chun Singh says a recent survey shows employers and their staff differ over whether enough measures have been taken to avoid heat stress. The Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions and the Hong Kong Workers' Health Centre interviewed over 100 construction and cleaning workers and 36 employers. Donald Trump has left Fulton County Jail after turning himself in on charges that he tried to overturn the 2020 presidential election result in the key southern state. Tight security was in place around the facility, where the former president was booked on election racketeering charges. And President Putin has made his first comments on the plane crash that's presumed to have killed the Wagner mercenary boss, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Mr. Putin expressed his condolences, describing Mr. Prigozhin as a talented man who made some mistakes. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. In the past year, our current term government team have been result-oriented. We have led Hong Kong to break new ground and open a new chapter. We strive to enhance governance, work pragmatically and unite different sectors, enabling Hong Kong to ride out the pandemic, resume normalcy and shine again on the international stage. We implement patriots administering Hong Kong, enhance interactions between the executive and the legislature, improve district administration and jointly maintain social harmony and stability. We pursue economic growth, find new land and create strong impetus for development. We tell the world good stories of Hong Kong and spare no effort in attracting enterprises and talent. We care about livelihoods and earnestly address issues like housing, environment and transportation. We nurture our youth. Hong Kong will proactively integrate into national development, consolidate its position as an international city and make steady strides towards a brighter future. Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-presenter this morning is Janice Wong. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion initially about the uh, state of the Hong Kong property market on the back of that failed public uh, land tender in uh, Chun Wan. Uh, later in the show, we're also going to be talking about a rise in uh, child abuse cases. If you've got any thoughts on either topic, do um, email us at backchat.rthk.hk or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or give us a call. The number there, 233 
8888266. Joining us to continue the discussion about the state of Hong Kong's property market is uh, Vera Yoon. Vera Yoon is a lecturer in economics at the Hong Kong um, U, uh, University of Hong Kong Business School um, and a regular guest on Backchat. Um, good morning, Ms. Yoon. Welcome back to Backchat. Good morning. morning. <laughs> um, and first, let's pick up first on uh, this topic about the uh, failure of the uh, tender in uh, Chunwan. I mean, where our guests in the first half of the show were saying that there were a lot of special circumstances there. It was not clear how much broad implications we should draw from this. So what, what's your take on that? I would say, um, I think some developers actually explain that uh, the project itself carried high risk because of the engineering technique that is required to build on the slope and the costs have to be bared by the developers. So they, they try to make very specific uh, reasons for not building it. But I think we also would look at the macroeconomic environment and also the housing market. So clearly in the past few months, we can see drop in housing prices. And when the price uh, drop in the housing price, it would reduce uh, supply because like uh, then developers see that, you know, uh, this the future is not that promising. People are not optimistic. So they would reduce their production. So that's why they're not bidding it. And the other issue is uh, I think for some of the property developers, they have some long issues. It's like they have high gearing ratios. And of course, they were not as bad as uh, those uh, developers in mainland China who were like in crisis. But some of them were already engaged in very large scale projects, which require financing. And that takes away their liquidity too. So they couldn't really finance that many different projects all at once. Um, and because of that, uh, and also uh, the raise, the raising interest rate would increase the cost of borrowing of like financing this kind of project. So I think they have enough to worry about in this housing market. And none of them think that, uh, I think only one of them think that it's worth bidding, but it's below uh, the price set by the government. So nobody actually... Sounds like you're saying we're going to see a lot of caution caution in terms of buying, not necessarily in terms of selling. Property developers have been quite aggressive in terms of selling prices, but caution in terms of buying from uh, property, the big property developers uh, for some time to come. Is that right, Veriun? Yes, and it actually, um, even for the selling to be aggressive, it actually tells you something. Because if you think that the price is going to drop, then you would sell aggressively now. If you think it's going to rise, you would like save it and try to sell it slowly, right? So I think together they add up to be the same story. But then the developers, maybe they think it's the price is going to drop, but they sell aggressively. But um, when they sell aggressively, people buy, don't they? So there are plenty of people around still in Hong Kong who, who want to buy and obviously think that um, uh, there is a good future in Hong Kong property. We, we look at the uh, response to um, that pricing in Yao Tong. Yeah, but the price was slashed by like 20%, I don't know, 30%. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of like price cutting. And I think they just make it to sell all of them. Like they set a price that they can barely sell all of them, which I think is jaw dropping for the other developers. If they have not managed to sell their old stuff, now they're in like trouble. Like they, they have to reevaluate like 
evaluation of the stocks right now and, and the new um, selling strategy. But I think it's still, um, to me, it's more like a short-term thing, though. Uh, it depends really on Hong Kong government's economic policy in attracting talent um, to see whether there will be more uh, workers that come to Hong Kong to make Hong Kong vibrant again. You know, that thing would be a more long-term thing on the population, on aging society. But in a short term, it's, uh, I think in, in one year's time, there's not much uh, optimism in the market. Right. Earlier, um, before the news, uh, our other guest, uh, Hannah Jong, she was saying that uh, this uh, um, this uh, method of uh, offering discounts by developers is actually uh, a healthy sign for the Hong Kong property market because uh, it allows uh, property prices to uh, uh, reduce uh, gradually. Do you, do you, um, what's your thought on that? Well, I think in the long run, the government tries to adopt a policy that maintains a certain price level so that they don't fluctuate a lot, like what happened in 1997 and 1998 with a 50% drop in one year's time. So it would be the best for the government to just stabilize the price. It can rise, it can drop, but slowly, gradually. And yeah, um, I would say... Uh, CK Hong Kong, they have tested like the real market price for uh, the new built uh, private houses at this moment. So we kind of know, okay, that that is about the price that the market have enough buyers to take them. But what about raise it a little bit higher? Lower? We don't know. But I think it's good to have some transaction, like you know, so there will be. Uh, like there won't be like buyers sitting there trying to wait for lower price and sellers, you know, sitting there trying to see whether there are buyers who can change their price. It, it's kind of like a signaling effect of, uh, you know, what the market price should be and the whole market should adjust. I guess that there's such effect. Early on, one of our other guests was saying that uh, CK Chung Kong could uh, they could have, they could price that uh, development in Yaotong so cheaply because because they got the land cheaply. But um, uh, for other developers who may have paid rather more for their land, that is is going to be very difficult for them to do the same thing. That's very true. But um, I guess if you're doing it from a business perspective, it's just like you're holding an asset, you're holding a stock, you buy it expensively, but you know it's going down. So would you keep that? Like, so this kind of cost that you bought it, it's kind of like sunk cost. You're trying to maximize your, uh, the value that you can get from your transaction, from your operation. So I think it depends on that time span and also whether, uh, they have pressure to, you know, get better cash flow or to kind of report to the, uh, board of directors to, you know, tell the shareholders, you know, what they've done. So they either sit there with the stock and then without the cash flow, or they have the experience loss. But if you sit there for even longer, will you actually get more or less? I mean, all of these should be in their own calculation. So uh, it, it's hard to say, like, what is the best strategy? But clearly, uh, I think in, in one year's time, the price wouldn't, like, I think for some of the Kaita land, they, they couldn't recover the cost already, like for their new selling price. I think they've accepted the fact. But the problem is how many flats they can still sell with that price or whether they want to sit on some flats because there's no restriction on how long you could sit on the flats. There's no uh, vacancy tax. So it, it depends on their strategy. 
Yeah, early on, you referred to <clears throat> the admission of talent scheme and uh, people coming into Hong Kong. If you talk to property agents, as I have been for various reasons recently, uh, they, they're very excited about that now. They say it's going to make a big difference. I mean, what, what's your assessment of that? It's still early to tell because many of the talent scheme applicants, they use it as a travel visa. They have not a concrete plan to settle in Hong Kong. But some of them are really coming, try to get a job here and then to see whether it works out. I mean, that, that's the whole point. We, we want talents to come and then try to see if it works out for them, whether they're willing to spend a few years here so that we have um, better quality and also quantity of labor force. Um, then we have a little bit, and also for those people, uh, I, I often read news that they they pay a little bit higher than the market because they are, they're not locals. They don't know the price and they don't have enough time, enough information so uh, to find a bargain. So I think usually uh, owners love them because they don't, they, they don't have much bargaining power information, basically. All right. And Ms. Yun, we, we focused a lot on the first-hand market. What about the secondary market? What, what do you think is going to happen uh, this year? Oh, it's already due. Because uh, a research finds that the secondary market marked their price according to the benchmark set by the primary market. And because of the CK's uh, Yao Tong essay, the price is even lower than those uh, in the secondary market, uh, like that is nearby, that, that have similar uh, facilities and environment. So maybe the CK's one was actually a little bit worse. It depends on what you learn. But um, then the secondary market homeowners, they have to think about like whether they want to hold on to this or if they want to sell it, they have to take the price lash. I mean, it's, they really look to the, like, uh, first-hand market to to see what kind of price uh, is the market price. Right, and uh, the the Housing Society, of course, uh, it will uh, use the uh, Chunwan plot that we're talking about earlier to uh, build uh, two thousand starter homes for first-time buyers. Do you think it will be uh, popular? Um, you know, when it's done, it's already like a few years later. So I would say it's really hard to tell. And given the history of, uh, you know, in 1997, we have something called a sandwich class home. And then that kind of disappeared because the house, housing price dropped so much. So it, it depends on whether there's still a huge gap between the private market and the home ownership subsidized scheme. And also they price it uh, as a fraction of the market price when it, it, uh, when it is at sales. So it really depends on, you know, a few years later when it's done, what happened to the market. Now, there are a lot of predictions uh, going forward about the state of the property market. Uh, some people say it's not going to recover until next year or maybe even take longer. We had guests on earlier saying they, they thought you'd see a rebound by the end of this year. What are your views, Faryun? I actually don't understand what does it mean by rebound. Is it rebound? Well, as in prices go up. <laughs> before 2019 to that level or rebound a little bit? Like, that's the difference. I, I don't think it would go back to the pre-2019 uh, level. 
So you ah, think, but there could be a rebound. No, you, I don't think so. You think two, 2019 was uh, sort of a historical high and um, that um, we're, 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 at least in the short, medium term, we're not going to get back to that level again and people who, who bought their flats in 2019 are going to be permanently locked in with losses? It's hard to say what is permanent because there are people who were locked in 1997, they wait like 15 years and they got like unlocked. So it depends <laughs> on the time span that you're talking about. But um, I think the whole uh, economic, uh, you know, forecast, uh, it's not that optimistic. So I think everything comes together. And also uh, their stamp duty policy, all these things affect the housing prices. If the government makes it a abrupt move in moving this policy, there could be a change uh, in the market. But I think within this year, because the economy doesn't seem so well and then we didn't see like why there would be a large rush of people suddenly who come to Hong Kong. Still, we have not seen that. We have expected a few waves of this uh, after opening up our border, but it, it didn't, they didn't come. So uh, I would say I would remain um, positively pessimistic. So I don't think it would get really bad, but... Uh, so Sorry, was that positively much. pessimistic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why positively? I don't think it would get very bad. Like it would like drop like like ten more percent, like twenty. More. I, I don't think it would happen. But it's like it wouldn't rebound a lot. Like it would be okay, like five percent. You know? so, it would just fluctuate at the level. So basically, we're, we're probably near the bottom. But you you think we're get, we're going to sort of move along on this level for a while, perhaps? It's only short term. I don't know where the bottom is. Okay. I mean. I wouldn't say such things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. We'll have to draw it to a close there. Uh, that was uh, Vera Yoon, uh, lecturer in economics at uh, the Business School at the University of Hong Kong, um, concluding our discussion about the state of the uh, property market in Hong Kong. Stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back. In the closing segment of the show this morning, we're going to be looking at an alarming increase in child abuse cases. Uh, the police holding a uh, briefing um, earlier this week, and they said that the number of child abuse cases had risen almost 30% from a year ago to uh, 716, about half of them involving uh, physical violence. Uh, a number of factors appear to be behind this, and to joining us uh, to discuss this alarming trend uh, is uh, Fanny Au. Fanny Au is a Chief Inspector of Police at the Crime Wing at the Family Conflict and Sexual Violence Policy Unit of the Hong Kong Police. Uh, good morning, Miss Al. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning. Morning. Uh, perhaps you can start tell by telling us about what the child abuse trends have been like in the first half of 2023. Sure. In the first half of this year, there were a total of uh, 716 reported child abuse cases, which represents an increase of nearly 30% compared to the same period last year. Out of these cases, half of them involved physical harm to children, while the other half involved sexual offences against children. And uh, can you give us some examples of the sort of child abuse cases you've been dealing with? Um, there are different kinds of uh, 
physical child abuse cases. They were like, um, oh, excuse me. Hello. Uh, we're, we're talking to uh, Fanny Au, who's the Chief Inspector of Police at uh, the Crime Wing of Family Conflict uh, and Sexual right. Violence Policy Unit. Please continue. Yeah, sorry. Uh, out of these cases, 294 cases were attributed to abuse or neglect, such as corporal punishment, neglecting care, or leaving children unattended. Okay, and you've you noticed... And, and, and regarding the sexual abuse cases, uh, approximately 68.9% of these cases involved indecent acts, marking an increase of actually around 80% compared to the same period last year. Right, and what do you think are the main reasons for this increase? Um, regarding the increase, uh, reason behind, um, we would say some of the, case, uh, the physical abuse cases involved parents resorting to physical punishment due to disciplinary issues, including the child's behavior or academic performance, while others resulted from domestic disputes where children become the target of displaced anger. And for the increase of sexual abuse, um, this surge can partly be attributed to the gradual easing of pandemic restrictions, leading to increased social interactions between children and others. Among these cases, uh, actually around 271 cases, over 75% were committed by acquaintances like classmates, romantic partners, family members and relatives. Okay, and I think you you said, you said that uh, the, the sexual abuse cases increased by almost eighty percent, right? Which is a um, huge increase. Yeah, right. And uh, actually, we observed like uh, um, a concerning trend where some cases of abuse are linked to children's online activities. In these cases, both the abusers and the victims are connected through online platforms such as social media, dating apps, or online gaming. And these individuals often referred to as online friends establish friendly relationships by showing interest in a child's preferences and providing support during the unhappy moments. In some cases, the online friend will assume the role of a boyfriend or girlfriend, eventually steering the conversation towards topics related to sex. And they may coerce the child into sharing explicit photos or videos and even arrange physical meetings, that leading to sexual abuse. And indeed, it is alarming that in certain instances, offenders have used recorded materials as a means of threat to, il to extend the illicit relationship. And are these, these type of uh, cases more challenging to, to tackle for the police? Yes, you're right. Uh, it is difficult uh, to, to tackle in a way because um, once the materials get online on the Internet, it's just, it becomes permanent. It can't be removed easily on the internet, and um, and uh, solely rely on online communication prevents them from truly understanding background of these acquaintances. And um, to prevent this, uh, I recommend that parents engage in more open communication with their children to understand their social interactions. If parents discover their child has unfortunately fallen into such sexual exploitation trap, especially on the internet or even like face-to-face, -face, they should seek assistance from the social workers and report the incident to authorities promptly. And it is also important indeed for parents and teachers to educate the children about the need to exercise caution online if they encounter conversations involving sexual topics or receive unusual requests from online acquaintances, they should inform a trusted individual and uh, seek help in a timely manner. 
The principle of sharing with trusted individuals applies equally to incidents that occur, uh, occur in the online world. Right. And Ms. Al, I mean, when we look at the victims, I mean, on average, or how old are they? For physical abuse cases among the child victims, most of them aged between 6 to 11. And while for sexual abuse, most of them aged between 12 to 16, a little bit uh, older than the physical abuse cases. How, how about the online cases? I mean, presumably the online cases are somewhat... I mean, there's, there's not so many six-year-olds um, being victims in online cases. Right. Uh, the uh, online cases usually around, like, older than six. Because uh, for younger kids, they have uh, less opportunity to use the internet, to have uh, uh, computer games, usually around uh, the same age of the sexual abuse cases, 12 to 16. And the police has what's called um, child protection projects. Can you explain a little bit more about what child protection project is? Sure, sure. The police, um, Let's Talk Child Protection campaign, first launched uh, in 2021, marked a remarkable success in reaching child protection awareness and garnering significant community support through multidisciplinary approach. Uh, featuring various parent-child activities with elements of arts, sports and music, the campaign successfully engaged over 60 citizens, 100 organizations and more than 300 schools. The positive impact of the campaign continued to gain momentum with another round of campaign last year, themed by standard intervention, seeing even greater participation. This year, we are collaborating with the Commission of Children, Social Welfare Department and other partners to enhance community child protection efforts. We will achieve this by showcasing a cutting-edge metaverse exhibition, parent-child bonding, and hosting a virtual run challenge for parents and caregivers, along with the children in an attempt to set a world record. Additionally, there will be a collaboration with the Community Chest for a themed casual wear day promoting child protection, as well as the development of an enhanced one-stop web application. Furthermore, a multidisciplinary seminar will be organized to encourage professionals to exchange ideas on protecting children from online sexual threats. Moreover, we have new episodes of animations and comic books will be released covering a wide range of child protection topics. Indeed, these in initiatives aim to raise public awareness of child protection through various forms and channels while providing relevant information and support. We do invite families, schools and, organize, and organizations to participate in teams. We do offer abundant prices and opportunity to contribute to setting a world record, supporting the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, focusing on ending violence against children. Our, our campaign will run from 1st of September to 16th of October. Uh, we sincerely invite you and your families to join us in supporting this mission. And feel free to browse our web application at www.chubsection.gov.hk for more details. So 1st of September, that's next week, isn't it, right? Right. Uh, so what sort of things could, can we expect to see next week at the start of the campaign? Um, there will be like a virtual run challenge. They're going to start first uh, for parents and caregivers. So basically they can form uh, teams to participate, either as uh, families, uh, teachers, students, or even colleagues. Very simple, they can uh, apply online, and there will be more uh, to be announced uh, closer to the date. Right, and I'm just looking at the figures again, Ms. Al, and uh, you said that there were uh, around uh, 716 cases of uh, child abuse. Child abuse right. Yep. So right. out of these cases, how, I mean, how many people were actually arrested and, and put to jail? Do you have figures on that? Uh, let me check. Regarding the arrested figures of the child abuse cases, uh, we don't have uh, uh, maintained statistics on this. 
But we know that most of the abusers were um, related to the child, actually the carers of the child. The child knows these abuses. Right. So does this show that there there is a, an, um, a need for more education maybe when it comes to uh, um, parenting? And, and, right, uh, right. And you didn't really mention the role of schools earlier on when you're talking. I mean, what, 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 how, how do the police work with schools and what is the role of school, schools in terms of um, trying to combat child abuse? Right. Um, as I mentioned earlier about the bystander intervention, because uh, the schools can take part in a way to have an early identification of any possible, possible abuse that can cause to a child. Um, according to our police clinical psychologists many times, bystanders actually including teachers or social workers or neighbors or community members, they don't know how to help or fear getting involved when they encounter or witness any child abuse cases. And uh, I would like to convey an important message here. It is often challenging for such cases to be detected through patrol or intelligence, which is why it requires the attention of bystanders, including all those people uh, deal with kids every day. And uh, if everyone shifts their responsibility to others, no one will take action. And it will contribute to a societal culture of not helping. And to break the bystander effect exactly, we need individuals to step forward and take action. Um, in a survey conducted by us last year, I can share with you now, it was found that one-third of the 240 respondents had heard about suspected child abuse cases in their neighbourhoods. However, more than 60% stated they would not report such cases. It is crucial for each of us to recognise the responsibility we have as members of society to protect children from abuse. By taking action and reporting suspected cases, we can contribute to creating a safe environment for children in our communities. And, and always remember, your involvement can make a significant difference in the life of an abused child. And together, we should stand up against child abuse and ensure the well-being of future generations. Those are very alarming statistics you cited. It seems to suggest there's still a lot of work to do on education, isn't there? If so many people are saying that uh, they, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't report these cases. Right. And that's why um, we are holding a like, continuous large-scale publicity campaign to raise the awareness of everyone to stand up and then uh, voice out and protect our child. Okay. And is this the first time you've done this campaign? No, this is the third year indeed, the third year already. We, we, uh, we started in 2021 and uh, it's a great success. Okay, well, we'll say thank you very much uh, to uh, Fanny Ao. Fanny Ao is the uh, Chief Inspector of Police at the uh, Crime Wing, the Family uh, Conflict and uh, Sexual Violence Policy Unit at Hong Kong Police, and she's talking about that campaign against child abuse on the back of those rising figures, which is going to start next week, so do, do watch out for that. Um, that's all we've got time for today. Um, thank you very much to uh, my uh, co-presenter, Janice. Thank you to... Thank you. Um, um, uh, producer Raphael. Uh, Backchat will be back on uh, Monday with Jim Gould and uh, Paul Zimmerman. Join us then. <laughs>